0: Hi and welcome to podcast Cold Turkey. This week I'm with Jeff. Jeff is a stand-up comic, but had a, a rocky early life. Um, enjoyed alcohol a lot, and um, I, I'll leave it to him to uh, explain to you how he quit, how um, how bad it it became. And um, yeah, it was a it was a great conversation I had with Jeff. Um, I'm taking a few seconds of your time just to let you know that every time you leave a review, you leave a comment, you share the page, uh, uh, the podcast page. That you find on any major platform that you're listening it to, um, it helps. It helps grow the listener base. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, take you two seconds, leave a comment, leave a review, and uh, I greatly appreciate it. So, uh, without further ado, here's joff Enjoy. <music> Hey Jeff, how you doing? Fine, Alexander. How are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um let's start this, you know, like uh, running. You know, like where where do we start that story, Jeff?
1: Um, well, I, I would probably uh with the first drink, I guess. It would what? be my my sister's wedding. I was 13 or 14 and um
0: What was the family picture? You know, like what was, you know, like if you if you draw me pretty much like because you you talk about your sister. But what is the where were were you witness of people, you know, like using alcohol? Oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah. My father was a, a functioning alcoholic. I think he missed one day of work because he couldn't get out of bed and he quit drinking for two years. And that was probably the most violent he ever was he He got no help at all. He just was a dry drunk for two years. and um there was a, there was a lot of smashed furniture around the house. How old were there? My, How old were you? Yeah, I was uh, in my uh, I was probably I wasn't thirteen. I wasn't in my teens, so okay. I was certainly under thirteen. Uh, I remember coming home one day and the toilet bowl was smashed into powder and I looked at my mom and said, was dad working on the toilet bowl? She goes, yeah, he's up at, this, at the Sears. That's where we got our toilet bowls, I guess. So I said Sears buying another one. So, if everything was broke, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it, uh, it's funny when you look back on it as a kid. I mean, he was an, an absolute lunatic. He, he never really laid hands on us. Everything else was game, you know, uh, he'd spackle in the walls. and pounded holes in cars. He smashed a windshield out because the lug nuts wouldn't come off his,
0: his car. And so it wasn't a festive... No. Uh, it wasn't no. festive at all.
1: No, in hindsight, I could probably look back and think he was bipolar. He would hole up. He was a construction worker. So in the summer, everything was good. He worked hard and made money. And then in the winter in Chicago, uh, it, was, it was all part-time work and money was tight. And uh, he would hole up in the room for... For days at a time, you know, and then, uh, come wandering out, you know, again, in hindsight, you know, um, I would probably think he had issues with depression. Um, and, uh, my brother certainly did. My brother was diagnosed bipolar in his twenties and, uh, he just quit drinking. He's 67 years old now, 68. And he quit probably three years ago at 65. Wow. Um, yeah, by God's grace, you know, kept him alive. I kept telling him for all those years, man, you're being kept alive for a reason, man. There's no reason he should be alive. But, um, and I really kind of modeled after my brother, my brother started drinking at 19. He had a, he had a baby and I used to babysit and he would buy me beer. And, uh, that kind of Started me on, um, and I was, I you know, and again in hindsight, you look back, I was, I, I drank till I passed out. Uh, I never drank socially um, at all. And know? so you're um,
0: uh, just getting back to that family picture. You had you, your mom and dad were together. You had a brother and a sister. Is that it?
1: Two sisters, two sisters and a brother. Yeah, okay, four kids.
0: So you're the middle baby. one. I'm or the younger, you're the baby. I'm the special one, man. You yeah. Know. The one that, you know, like, <laughs> gets, you know, more cradles, like gets more yeah. cradles, gets more cradles, gets more of the, yeah. uh. Well, actually ah. I got to let
1: loose. By the time I rolled around, my parents didn't, they didn't care to discipline me at all. They just were tired. My mother had four kids in five years. So, uh, by the time I rolled around, man, they just let me do whatever I wanted to do. You know, I, I wandered the streets, uh, from the age of 13 till I left the house at 18, 19 and went on my own. But um, and so your sister gets—I never got in trouble. So my mother said to me, "Well, oh, you're never in trouble." I go, "Well, you in trouble that you knew about." You know, um,
0: <laughs> that's the best way, <laughs> right? And and yeah. so you said your sister got married, and you—you yeah. you probably had and your... that
1: was when I—I I, I, and I'll tell you how it ended. I threw up. I laid. I was laying in my. I'll never forget this. Uh, and my mother came in to clean up the vomit. And my, I remember my father going, if he wants to drink like a man, he can sleep in it like a man. And that was kind of the first, uh, definition of manhood, you know, men drink, that's what you do. You drink and you can handle it. And and then if you, if you can't, then you, you sleep in it. That's what you do. You know? And, um, I learned to keep it down. Um, you know, again, I drank till I passed out or threw up one or the other, but uh, eventually my body kept it down and uh I drank as any as often as I could, you know, uh when you're underage.
0: Were you were you what kind of kid were you? Were you like an introvert? I was an athlete. I was an athlete. Okay. And uh I
1: was uh I was good. Um and um I had a passion for baseball. And uh when I started drinking that passion, uh, baseball became number two. It was always number one. Um, and, um, I, you know, I went to college I, I had a minor scholarship and drank myself out of that. And, and then I kind of hit the, um, uh, you uh, know, adulthood at 19. I, I took a job and, uh, I had a jewelry company and then, uh, I found a comedy club at 22 uh, at the age of 22 and it, that changed everything. I started, what was your
0: career plan before? No, you know, like before meeting with comedy, my plan, I had no plan, man. Okay. um, Partying. I didn't,
1: I didn't grow up in a house that uh, it's interesting to me when I, you know, I get around successful people. I do a lot of corporate shows and I, and I love picking the brains of, of CEOs and, you know, successful entrepreneurs. And, um, They all had a plan, you know, and it's interesting. They were raised that way. You know, Um, uh, uh, my parents were blue collar and uh, nobody, you know, I think my father told me freshman year of high school. He said, look, you study hard, you get good grades. If I have to, I will hawk my house to put you through college. If you screw around, you're on your own and my father never looked at homework, never looked at, never asked me a question about it. four years later, he looked at me and said, you screwed around, you're on your own. And that was it. There was no guidance or discipline, you know? And again, I'm not, I'm not faulting them. They did what they, you know, they knew what they knew, you know? How
0: old were and you when they decided that it, you know, it was enough?
1: What well, was enough?
0: No, that what you've, what you just said that your father pretty much said, okay, oh, I was I'm
1: 13. And then at 18, he told me, you know, four years later, he said, um, you know, um, you screwed around, you're on your own. So at 18, I was brainwashed to leave the house at 18. I, I laughed today about all these kids living to be with their parents till they're 30. You know, <laughs> I go, yeah. my parents, every time I complained about anything, they, they'd say when you're 18 and living in your own place, then you can have hot mashed potatoes, you know, or, you know, when you're 18 and living in your own place, then you won't have to clean your room. If you want the 18. cocoa puff? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You <laughs> whatever you want. You know, when you're 18 and living in. So I just assumed everybody left their house at 18 <laughs> and got their own place. And now I'm looking around and these kids are in their thirties. I go, my God, I would actually had some money in the bank if I stayed at my parents' house until I was 30.
0: But it's funny, you know, like the plan thing, because you know, like its i am ai am a, I'm a, I'm a self-learning guy that, you know, like, I, I think I did pretty good, but you know, like yeah. I had no freaking plan because I, you know, like that, I tried arts in college. I was a, I thought I was going there to be taught art. I was actually there to pretty much, they were teaching survival, you know, um, right. You know, where you had to be good in arts. Not that I was, I had a creative and an artistic mind, but I I definitely wasn't good at drawing or painting. You know, like I I thought I was going there to be, you know, like someone would be teaching me that. Um, And I was just around like a fraternity of people that were, you know, like soon to be tattoo artists and you know, like just like, (laughs) just fucking geniuses. Yeah, and it ended at you know like trying to draw a horse or a dog or whatever that freak you know like that that thing ended up to be, and uh, I left school that day. Um, Yeah, my father
1: should have been an artist. My father was a uh, a brilliant portrait painter, and uh, when he met my mother, this is the story I heard. Uh, He was at the University of Chicago Art School and doing quite well, and my grandfather, my mom's dad, would not let him let his daughter marry an artist. So my father took a job in construction. So he'd have a a real job and he never left the trades. Uh, Never went back to painting until he was late in his fifties. He started painting again. And, um, I said to a friend of mine once, um, when you deny that part of your soul, of course he was miserable. You know, he should have been an artist. That's oh, I mean, was, no wonder, you know. Was, like, it, it, it,
0: yeah. exactly, and you know, like, you, you, if you don't find a way to evacuate that, call it evacuate or call it like you know, like letting it, letting it go. Um, right. You're you're just you're just sad. You know, like you you there's something missing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I believe we all have a purpose, you know, and and the more you align that with with the divine, with designed, you know, uh, I think the more content you are. And, um, again, um, you know, you get back to a plan. I wound up, uh, you know, I was 20 years in comedy before I got a personal manager. I I remember I was sitting with some guy that did this, uh, you know, these corporate coaches, have you heard of those people? You know, they they coach CEOs on, you know, highly success. So I'm, I'm golfing with this guy one day and, you know, my, my, my wife is leaving me. I got, you know, I got nothing going on. I'm, I'm bank. I filed bankruptcy. I lost everything. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm sent, boy, if I could do my life over again. And I was 40 years old, you know, not even 40. I was 39. He said, what would you do different? I said, I'd find somebody to run my, my career. I, I just am a lousy businessman. I, I never developed those tools. He said, why can't you do that? I go, who wants a 39 year old never has, you know, never have been comic, you know, and uh, you know, as things would happen, I found somebody that would manage me and uh he's been with me now for twenty-three years and things are flourishing, you know, people I, have skill sets, you know, and he started out he wanted to be a comedian or he, he, he wanted to work in you know, and he managed comedy clubs for years. And um um he got into personal management of, of artists and uh he's he's brilliant at it. He's he's good at it. I'm not, but I I don't think he can get on stage and do what I do.
0: I have um, to ask you if I rewind the tape. You're you're twenty when you discover comedy? Yeah, twenty two. Can you can you tell me how does that end up happening? You know, like that, you know, like because you know like there's the you know, like I've I, I'm a well, huge fan of back, comedy, you but you back, know, like I, I don't well, I've always it's, it's funny because really I took right. I took, you know, like I took like night courses for comedy writing and you know, like all that stuff. Yeah. But uh, I'm not just like a com- comedy geek, you know, like I love like US standups and, you know, like some of the yeah. UK standups and reach, you know, like people here in Canada. But um, I, I even took courses, but it's far from me yeah. getting on stage and just grabbing a mic and open mic, anything, you know, like I, I, you know, like I, there's, there's yeah. something missing, something that I, I, something missing and something that I miss having, uh, to get the courage to do it. But, uh, you know, like tell me how you end up, you know, like just like getting the the, the, you
1: you can go back six years. My brother was a musician and he was in a band and, um, they were working a club and a couple of comedians went up and did stand up. And I remember I was 16, 17 years old. I went, Oh man. Would I love to be able to do that? And then it was kind of forgot. And then one night I was working for a jewelry company and we were doing a jewelry show at a hotel in Chicago and someone said, hey, after we're done setting up, there's a comedy club around the corner. I go, comedy club, what's that? Anyway, I went in and I got hooked. And it took me about three months to work the courage up. You know, I got drunk. It was Thanksgiving night um, and uh, I was leaving my parents' house drunk. And I thought, well, it was open mic night. And I was so bad on that Thursday night. I went back Sunday for open mic and the MC came over and said, you're going to have to make some sense tonight. We're still trying to figure out what you said Thursday night. <laughs> so it was bad. It was, you know, and I was bad for a long time. I had a uh, terrible stage fright. There were nights I'd walk up, look at the crowd, run off and wouldn't say a word, you know? And, um, eventually I learned to at least stay up and do my five minutes. Um, I, I knew if I could get past the fear of this, I could probably, I, w- I was a funny guy. I was witty and, uh, it was something I desired to do. And, uh, again, I think it's part of your soul. And, um, I had spent, um, I don't know how many years, um, I tried to get out of it on two or three different occasions and something would come up. And, um, you know, they always said the coincidences are the atheist miracle, you know, and, um, I, uh, there were just things that would come up and I'd get thrown back in. I, I and, and I really felt that this, you know, that's what I was supposed to do, but I just didn't know how to function in the business side of it. Um, and when I started in 1978, uh, by 1980, the comedy clubs exploded in the, in the States. So there was really more comedy clubs than there were comedians that could fill them. So I was able to travel around, make a few bucks, be bad at something and still get paid and uh, learn, learn how to do the craft of stand up comedy. I was not a, a natural, let's just put it that way.
0: And um, how was your alcohol intake during that time?
1: Oh, you know, I was a binge drinker. I mean, I'd I'd get to the club. I'll give you, here's an example of how my weeks went sometimes. I was hired by a strip club in Atlanta for two weeks. Uh, And my day was this, I'd, I'd drink until four, five, six in the morning and I'd go to the place they put me up, some apartment building, they'd put me up in an apartment and I'd pass out at six in the morning, seven in the morning. I'd get up at two or three in the afternoon. I'd order a Domino's pizza which took 30 minutes to get there and I'd shower while the pizza was coming. I'd get out of the shower. I'd eat three, four slices of pizza, go to the club, get back at six or seven in the morning, get up at two in the afternoon, order Domino's. At the end of the two weeks, I had 13 Domino's pizza boxes in my apartment. Uh, And um, I don't know how many empty vials of Coke, um, you know, uh, whatever money they paid me went up my nose and, uh, I remember them, they wanted to hire me for 26 weeks, um, at each club. So for a year at, at the strip club and I looked at the guy and said, I'd be dead. If I did this for a year, I'd be dead.
0: Where, where uh, did cocaine, you know, like got in the equation? Cause you know, like uh, you, you mentioned alcohol, was but, uh.
1: So it was ubiquitous. Uh, cocaine was everywhere. They, they had club owners that tried to pay us in cocaine, you know, and, and I was at least smart enough to look at it and go, you know, I can't send that to to the phone company to pay my bill. You know, it's not a currency yet. So I need to get paid in cash, but, uh, I couldn't hang my, my alcohol, um, tolerance had gotten down by the time I was 25 or six to the point where I needed something to pick me up. And it's interesting because I see the meth epidemic today and methane, meth, uh, was not around. Uh, I, I went to a club in Pittsburgh and a dental student gave me some meth and I fell in love with it. I wanted meth, man, so bad. And I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, so I can't imagine today, which is a,
0: which is a grace, Jeff. No, I mean, it know. is a grace. It is an
1: absolute grace. Cause,
0: and I'll remember, I
1: can tell you this when I was sitting when, when, uh, crack pipes, uh, first started, they call it free basin. When they, when they started basing. I was sitting on a couch at a club somewhere and they were passing the pipe and it came to me and I had that moment of clarity. And I said, nah, I got enough problems, man. And they go, no, man, you have not done this. You've got to do this. And I said, no, nah, there was this little voice in the back of my head, man. that just, this is not good, man. And I passed that pipe on. And again, you think, I wonder how different my life would be if I take, my brother took the hit. My brother was in and out of crack houses for 30 years. And um, I, I, I don't know how different my life would have been if I took that hit, man. But I, I can see it as I, as sure as I'm talking to you, I can see me sitting on that couch with surrounded by four or five other guys just trashed. And, uh, I couldn't name them. I couldn't tell you their names, but I can, I can almost see their faces, man. And it's like, just as clear as the bell. Those are one of those like turning points in your life where you, you, you know, a- again, it's like every accident, every auto accident you've ever had you go back through and you go, God, if I'd have made a right instead of a left, or yep. if, a, if I didn't run that yellow or if I, if I would just waited three seconds at that stop sign a little longer, you know, I would have missed this, you know? And, um, I, have thought about that moment a lot over the years, you know, that, that just thank God, thank God.
0: And during that time, um, I always ask that that question because, um, I think it's important, but you know, like, where do you see those first seeds of, you know, like waking up on over or, you know, like that crack pipe situation or whatever, you know, where you start getting those first seeds of, that can't be my life. You know, like that, that can't, you know, like the, the example of the 26 weeks is another example of clarity. You know, like you, you, you knew for a fact that you, know, like you wouldn't survive that, that diet, no. you know? Um,
1: and again, in the back of my head, I was an athlete. I really was. In the back of my mind, I was an athlete. And athletes don't destroy their bodies. I ran. God, I was running 30, 35 miles a week during all this time. Oh shit. You did? Yeah. Yeah. I I knew I was killing myself. As a matter of fact, when I went to a a doctor, when I was 29, 30, somewhere in that age, maybe it was 30. I thought, you know, I got to go get a physical. I got to see what damage I've done to my body and still doing. I was in Boston at this time. And, uh, she comes back after doing all the tests and she says, are you a runner? I said, as a matter of fact, I am. I run a lot. She said, I said, why? She goes, after everything you've told me that you've done to your body for the last 15 years, I expected to see a lot of different, a lot of different results. She goes, I hate to say this. I really do. Because you're in amazing shape, <laughs> <You
0: know>? which <laughs> and I, got you going for a while. <laughs> well, it was it. I go, well, I'm not doing any damage. So exactly.
1: I I was it would have been better if she said, but you keep this up. You're not going to have a liver left. You're not going to, you know, but everything was, all my metrics, you know, whatever they use. But then again, I had a friend whose dad got a clean bill of health and and he had a heart attack waiting for his son to go get the car out of the parking lot. So four minutes after the doctor told him he had a clean bill of health, he had a massive coronary. So doctors are not gods. No, they don't. definitely they don't. not. But, but you know, I like- knew in the back of my mind, I, I, uh, at 25, I almost joined the air force. Um, I went to a 12 step program at 25. I, I was, I was in my old neighborhood. I grew up in a really small town, South side of Chicago. And um, I was drinking in a bar. And um, I passed out as I did most nights. I just fell asleep in the bar in, this, in a booth. And uh, the kids, the guys I was drinking with, tied my shoes together. So when I stood up, I fell on my face and they all started laughing at me. And uh, I pulled my shoe off and I walked home. It was about a mile, two mile walk with one shoe on, one shoe off, just crying, sobbing like a five-year-old, you know, and humiliated. And I got home and I called my dad the next day and I said, you need to come get me. I need help. Um, I realized I was drinking not with my peers, but with the brothers, the younger brothers of guys I grew up with, and they were all mocking me. I had become the town drunk. So uh, my dad came and got me and, uh, I went to a 12 step program. I, I was still doing cocaine while I was going to, to the program for alcohol. <laughs> I didn't last long at the meetings. I made a year without a drink, but, um, it was all white knuckle and and, um, and I knew if I ever started drinking again and I stopped, I'd, I'd go back and stay. So it was five more years before I got back and stayed. So I've so- been thirty thirty two 32 years sober now.
0: So it was already in the back of your mind. Oh gosh. Yeah. Even
1: when I was 18, I had blackouts. I mean, I knew I was not the same as my friends. Uh, they would tell me things I did and I couldn't remember and I'd play along. And I'd go, Oh yeah, that was great. I remember that. And I could not remember, could not remember. I'd have girls throw drinks in my faces, you know, and I, I, I they'd walk away and I go, what was that about? They go, you don't remember? And I go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Oh my gosh. I should go apologize. You know? Um, And I don't, I had no remember. I knew I was different than my friends uh, early, early, early. But um, I I knew I was killing myself about my mid twenties.
0: And you knew by going to the the 12 step program once that there was at least one solution to that problem. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And again, I I got into the program. I remember six months into it. um, Somebody slipped me a drink at a club. I was working on the road. And you know, I ordered an orange. That's when I quit ordering fruit juices, orange juice, you know, and cranberry juice and stuff, because bartenders think they're doing you a favor by putting a shot of vodka in there. Yep. And uh so anyway, I, I spit it across the bar and I go to a meeting and I said, uh, you know, did I lose my six months sobriety because I inadvertently took a sip? And someone said, What are you doing in a bar? I go, Well, oh, I make my living in a bar. I'm a comedian. And um, he says, Well, you're gonna have to quit your job. And I looked at him and said, Look, pal, I didn't come here for career advice. I really came here to learn how to live in a world that had alcohol. And if you guys can't help me, I could certainly avoid the meetings. <laughs> you know, i got a, better things to do. But, uh,
0: yeah, yeah I, you know, uh, when there's, you know, like the, the, it's funny that you talk about that because for me, it's just, you know, like it would be like a, a uh, a direct fuck you, you know?
1: <laughs> well, I believe me, I'm not here. Believe me, I'm not talking to you and I'm not here without those meetings. I'm not. Those, those people, strangers all around the world. I mean, I did, you know, I did meetings in Canada. I did, you know, uh, meetings in, uh, in Mexico. I did meetings. You know, there were meetings everywhere and they kept me sober.
0: Um, oh, no, no. But, but what I'm saying, th- Jeff, is that, you know, like just this afternoon, you know, like, so, so one of my good friend, really good friend, you know, like called me and, you know, like to, to chit chatting. And, and at some point he's like, well, I think he has three months now or a bit more than two months anyways. And he's like, Hey, in the past three weeks or the past week I've been asked three times to share. And he found a new sponsor which told him, no, 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 no. It's way too early for you to share. Really? And, and I lost my shit. Yeah. Why would that be? I, I, I'm like, know. did, did fucking Bill told Bob, Hey, 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 buddy. You know, I get some mm-hmm. time because of, you know, like you can't really tell me your story too young, too I'll early. Tell you, man,
1: I I was, I remember my first time I tried to share, I couldn't get through it. I was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. I, every time I tried to share, I was so grateful
0: and, and it, it, it's, it's, for I me, it's, uh, you know, like it's, it's even that podcast has, um, has brought me back to the, to the roots of it all. You know, like when I was in therapy, uh, I was, I was required to watch. My name is Bill W been in, in, yeah. in a badly translated form, really bad. <laughs> and, uh, I enjoying being, I, I remember being. Bored to death watching that fucking movie, and yeah. uh, a few months back, I found it on Google Play. I bought it and listened, watched it again, but in his original form with James Wood and you know, and yeah. um, and it 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 struck me like lightning. I'm like, holy shit! I'm pretty much doing, but Bill and Bob did not. You know, like I'm 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 saying that you know, like no yeah. pride in that, you know, or bold or g- 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 by it. But you know, like what I'm saying is that. Right. I'm actually having a conversation with another addict that, that's trying to save his ass. And, right. and, uh, and that's pretty much the bottom line of it all, you know, like, which is at the end of all of this, there was a guy named Bill and a guy named Bob trying to save their ass and discuss for eight hours straight and realize right. that, you know, like they had no cravings during that eight hour period, drinking a shit ton of coffee. and. Right saved their life and after that and i mean much later after that they decided to put literature literature out right there wasn't no literature initially you know like there was the influence of the oxford group for sure but you know like there wasn't so when i hear someone interpreting um like the big book and, you know, I get it, you know, like the, the, you know, like you have to, because, you know, like if you want it to be resilient and persistent in time, you know, like there has to be literature around it, but the, yes. the, the, the roots of it all, it's, there's no one better to understand an addict than another addict. And
1: that's it. Right. And the only thing I did right, I can tell you this, the only thing I did right for the first two years was I used the phone. Yeah. I was on the road. I I was, you know, in, in places I couldn't get away, you know, I I didn't have cars. I didn't have, you know, and so I used the phone and just talking, you know, uh, the last time I used, I was about two months sober and I used, I was, I was at a club in Memphis and an old Coke buddy of mine showed up with just a pile of, and I, I couldn't resist. And, um, uh, we went out and I got back to my room and here's another one of these uh, coincidences. I was chopping up cocaine with my driver's license and a phone number that I had gotten at a meeting three months prior fell off my driver's license and landed into the Coke. And um, I'm looking at the number and I'm looking at the Coke and, uh, you know, and, you know, there's this struggle going on. And I finally realized, like, I got to quit this crap. And so I call the guy up. It's three o'clock in the morning. And he says, uh, where are you at? I go I'm in Memphis, man. I've been using all night. I got, you know, he says, um, you know, after a couple minutes, he goes, well, if you're serious about really quitting, man, he says, you got to flush the Coke. How much you got left? I said, not much, about a half a gram. He goes, well, if you're serious, you'll flush it. So anyway, I went and flushed it. And I came back and he goes, did you flush it? I said, I did. He goes, wow, you're the first. <laughs> you <really laughs> flushed it, right? And I went, yeah. He goes, Holy cow. Okay. All right, man. I had a, I had a whole nother set of dialogue to to lay on you. You know.
0: Yeah, there um, was a
1: plan um, B. I figured you go now. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it. You know. They say, well, then you're not serious. You know. Call me when you're serious. You know. But uh, anyway, he said, you don't sound suicidal. Like I'm not suicidal, man. I just I'm sick
0: of this crap. I really am. Can you can and, you bring me back to that rock bottom moment? You know, like that where you decided there was enough.
1: Well, for me, yeah, I, 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 beat my, my, my son. Um, he was six months old. He was crying. I, and I was drunk and coked up and he wouldn't stop crying and I spanked him. Um, and my wife came running into the room and took him away from me and, um, literally sat on the end of the bed and popped out a breast and fed him. And again, that quiet little voice, you know, that we've, we've been given, you know, says, uh, I, I, I had never felt shame like that in my life. Now, you know, we've all been in drunk tanks. We've all been arrested, you know, and all of that. But, um, you know, that was all part of it. You know, you and they were like war stories you would tell. This was humiliating. I could not believe that I had done what I just did. And to realize how, how much damage, I could have killed them. I could have absolutely killed them. And I told my wife that night, if you don't take me to um, um, AA, I won't go. And if I don't go, I don't think we're going to be married. And we weren't even married a year at that point. So that was my bottom. That was that was it. Um, I I could not think of anything that I could do anything more. You know that was frightening, scary, scary, frightening.
0: Yeah, and, and yeah, because you could have been blacked out, and as you said, you know, like just yes. lose it. Yeah, and then what excuse? What are you? What are, you
1: know? I mean, I, I are you kidding me? It's no excuse, you know. And um, uh, she took me the next day, you know, and they go pray. I go to what? You know, I didn't believe in God. But I did do the third step prayer uh, because on the way out, somebody came over to me and handed it to me in a car. He says, look, I get it. You don't believe in God, but do this prayer if you want to stay sober. So anyway, I did a third step prayer. I I did what I was told to do. I I, I did things right and proper, and I did a lot of things that I wouldn't recommend to people. But um, the two things I did right were I used the phone. I talked to other addicts and other alcoholics. And uh, I prayed uh, to an entity I didn't believe in, and uh, the you know the steps say that you came to believe. It took me eight years, but I came to believe eight years into it.
0: Fake it till you make it.
1: Well, it's it you know, and again I you know the third step was the hardest one. I I, I just I wasn't going to make up a deity. You know they're going well you need a higher. I go look if I'm making up a deity, that makes me delusional. And again, if I had walked into it, a meeting and they go you know you need Jesus, I'd have left. So you know. God put me where I needed to be and I he let me exhaust for me anyway. You know, I was I, I, I did I, I got into therapy and they put books in my hands. I never read a book my entire life till I got sober. I was 30, 31 years old when I read my first real book. I mean high school I faked my way through English classes. I never read the books. And um, you know, self help and new age, Buddhism, all of it, you know. Um, I was seeking, I was searching. And, um, I just wanted to know why anything mattered. I had a rough eight, you know, the, the first eight years, I, you know, I, I almost lost my marriage sober. Um, it wasn't a, I, I was not a poster boy, which is why the program should be anonymous. If people had watched me after five years, they would have gone, Oh, that's i I'm not going.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, which is why you keep it to yourself. You know, um, I probably kept another friend of mine drinking for another year because he looked at me and he went, wow, if that's the end result, I was really angry. Um, you know, and, you know, again, as a comic, you can, you can vent that, you know, you can stay, I stood on stage and I was cynical and sarcastic and, you know, um, vicious, uh, at times, but,
0: um, Did it impact your creativity and your, you know, like your, your, your career? Getting sober? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, the anger did. Uh, I had, I had female club owners. So what I started talking about my, you know, I always talked about my marriage, my wife and my kids. i tried to derive humor from, from my wife. And I was really vicious when I talked about Tammy, you know, um, uh, there was times that she would be in the club and she'd leave in tears the way I talked about her on stage. And it was a moment of clarity one night when about four guys in wife beater shirts came over to me and said, you must be married to the same witch I'm married to, you know, and they wanted to take me out drinking. And I realized this is the audience I'm connecting with, man. You know, these hardcore, they probably beat their wives. I, you know, I i wasn't like that. I just was so angry. And I think there was a moment in a meeting where a little old lady came over to me and said, maybe, maybe your wife isn't your problem. Because that's all I would do, raise my hand and I would share and talk about my wife. And they put up with me for about a year and a half of that. Um and nobody said anything. And then finally this little old lady came over to me and I had enough sobriety where I didn't pound her head, you know, and uh I I heard. I heard, you know, I listened. I I, I, I it it took me a while. I was a skeptic, um, uh angry, bitter, jaded, cynical, foul mouthed uh, human being. And um but you know i worked it and i i made it i really did i got out the other end
0: in terms of the even like the did you get like writer's block and you know like that kind of stuff you know like it, was it something that because you know like some, some say you know like like smoking yeah. weed just help them um, be- well
1: it's funny you know i you know it's funny i when i cleaned up my show i don't work dirty and uh I made that decision when my kid got, we got called into school when my fourth grade son uh, called his teacher an F and B, you know, and uh, you know, you you hear it come out of your kid's mouth. You know, I looked at the teacher and said, I'd love to be able to look you dead in the eye and tell you, I have no idea where that child heard that kind of language. But, you know, my wife and I talk like that at home, we're trying to um, uh, make changes. We were, we had that time where we had, we had come to our faith and, we were trying to make some changes. So anyway, I paid my kid a quarter for every dirty word he heard come out of my mouth. So <laughs> he made me aware of my language. And then I, I'm a storyteller in my comedy. So I realized, you know, you get a thesaurus out and you actually use the language. You make, you paint better pictures with the words, you use better metaphors because you're not, and it's not that, you know, cussing cussing, you know, uh, somebody once said, that profanity gives people permission not to hear what you have to say. So if you feel like you have something to say and you you want people to have to sit and listen, then it's probably better to not be profane. And I don't do politics and I don't do much social commentary. Um, you know, again, I just talk about my wife and kids. I tell stories about my family and stuff, but, um, it made me a better comedian. Um, but it took, when I first quit drinking, I thought I wouldn't be as funny. That's that's a, the biggest fear, and it's also a lie you tell yourself so you can keep drinking. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but every friend that I mean, true friend that I had when I said I'm in a I'm in a program now, I'm an alcoholic. Not one of them said,
0: "Really, you?" <laughs> you know, oh no, 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 I, I <laughs> not, like, <you> know? <laughs> no, no, there's none exactly. The, the people that, <laughs> that were close, everyone knew that you know, like a, it was uh, you know, like it, it was just uh. It had to happen, you know, like the, it, you had to stop and you know um it's it's Friend. funny because I, I I rebuilt my life pretty much, you know, like so I had two two child with the, two children with the first wife uh, the yes. first girlfriend, and then you know like I, and so my my now wife has no idea what I looked like and what I was like um right. as an addict. Um, but she's she's seen those passion, quote unquote, you know, because yeah. of, you know, like. Speaking of you know, like cleaning up the language, you know, like your obsessive compulsiveness now gets right. called passion. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, so so uh, I'm gonna tell my wife that I'm a passionate man. <laughs> exa- well, I can I can assure you that you know, like my wife now knows that, um, and it was within the first month, um, first month of us g- going out together, um, I was going bankrupt and I was looking to be the, well, I was doing research on getting myself a power kite. <laughs> and and she doesn't know me much, right? You know, like we right. fell in love and she doesn't know me much. And uh, she sees that I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm full on like classified ads looking for a fucking power kite. <laughs> And I remember I'm I'm in my car, I'm on my way to go, to go meet with a guy in a parking lot of a, of a shopping mall. And I tell her that like pretty, you know, casually, you know, like I'm like, well, you know, like it's an 800 bucks kite. And she's like, what? (laughs) And so she, I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I mean, like that's, it's cheap for, you know, like the, cheap for what it is and like it's a it's a great thing you know a great kite (laughs) and she's like you're fucking going bankrupt here you know like and and you you're you're willing to shell out 800 bucks for a kite you know like so right there right right there she pretty much discovered what it would be like living with a with, with someone that has those passions you know, like so yeah. so i started doing djing you know which was like a teen dream a crush teen dream which came back at 33 or 34. Um, yeah. so i work in sales made good money at some point in one quarter and you know bought myself like dj equipment when i came home with the dj equipment my wife knew that i probably had the best dj freaking equipment ever for right. three parties a year you know so she's like what what happened i'm like well i've been doing research for a few months now and you know like um i knew that this day was coming of you know getting like a a bigger check because of those you know uh, successes and uh here i am you know like i'm going to be the which then became kind of a great thing because my wife n- not uh, an alcoholic um you nice. know like I, I would be the 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 assigned dj for any festive events in our in our friends and so instead of being bored because because people are drunk or you know like whatever, I'm behind like uh, my DJ stuff. I I can play music all night and not be bored and not be you know like, yeah that's great you know like so so it was it became but it it wasn't that at the beginning it was just like okay I I love doing it with cheap equipment when I was 16. I missed this. I want to try it again and, you know, I like got myself like a, some equipment and same thing happened uh last year with the with the podcasting thing, you know. Yeah. It, it became an interest. Um it's funny because someone came a few um a few weeks ago to record one of his podcasts. He wanted to meet with me. And I started to tell him about some of the audio settings and all that. And He's like, what the hell, man? I'm like, well, you know, like I did some research and, um, and so we become, we are passionate people. Um, yes. when it's, when it's applied for good, it makes us like the best in the world. Um, but it, if, if, if we apply the same passion on destroying ourselves, it can actually freaking kill us. Um, and you know, absolutely. Like the, absolutely. And so for me, it's just like, uh, how do you, it, it, you know, like it's, 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 um, it's not a coincidence. I think that I'm actually having a talk with you, Jeff, because you know, like it's, like I said, you know, like I took night courses on, on, you know, um, comedy writing. I took, you know, like comedy yeah. acting and, you know, like I, I, while I was doing a, like a, I'm in, I'm in IT for God's sake, you know, like I'm not in nothing close to art, art at all um and my
1: son's in it
0: you know I'm, I'm i'm a sales rep from one of the bigger um it company in the world and you know like so so there's nothing of you know like there's nothing that comes close to art or or comedy you know like it's it's sales right. is, is there's not much humor in that um but but you know like it's it's um it reminds me that you know like you 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 those passions, you, you know, you can't, you, you need to find a way to articulate them, you know, um, I agree. And the podcast yeah. has been, has been doing that for the past nine months now, you know, um, just having fun, um, having conversation with people like you, you know, like to, it, for me, it's just like, uh, like, uh, it's a blessing. It, it, yeah. It's actually a blessing in disguise. You know, like I did it for the purpose of me finally finding something that I was looking for. Um, but I ended up just like, I told someone yesterday there was an early guess that it it changed my life. <laughs> you know? yeah,, uh, it's just fantastic. So what has been you know like um, do you do you now share a lot that story? you know, like what how have you used that sobriety uh in your life? When you, when you got sober and pretty much, you know, I stabilized your life.
1: Well, I, um, I came to my faith, uh, my Christian faith at 39, 40. And, uh, we got to Nashville and I was in, um, it was nine 11. I was in, um, in Vegas working the Tropicana and, uh, I couldn't get home. My wife was freaking out. You know, the towers came down and, you know, for all we knew, we were at war, you know, and um, I couldn't get home. So anyway, I came home and I called my Jewish manager up and said, I need to find another place to do what I do, you know? And I said, do you think churches would hire me? And uh, he goes, "Uh, you know, what do I know? You know, he was Jewish. I said, I I didn't know anything about church. We had just started going to church. Uh, I wasn't raised in a church. My father told me when I was 15, you know, there was no God and stay away from Christians. And I heeded his warning. So I stayed away from Christians in church for forever. And, uh, when I started working churches, I I realized, you know, I did what I did. You know, I, I had a clean show, so the show wasn't the issue. I mean, I had no problems doing comedy in a church, but, um, I felt that they were paying me with the tithes and offerings of their, of their people. I thought I should give back something. So really what I did was took my AA talk and, um, and, and, told the story, you know, of, of my conversion and what led up to my faith. And, um, they seemed to like that. So I, I took that. Uh, I still, a matter of fact, I just got off the phone, uh, this afternoon with a pastor in Maryland that I'm going to go in on, on, in February and do his three Sunday services. And, um, he wants some comedy, but he wants, he wants the, um, the story of the marriage and the, um, um, the alcoholism and, um, how you got out the other end and all that, you know, it's experience strength and hope it never gets old, Bill and Bob knew what they were doing man
0: and have you stopped doing um like s- stand up and you know comedy at all or or oh
1: no gosh no i'm I'm busier than I've ever been. I'm going into uh a club in the thirtieth um i do all- i do churches i do comedy clubs and i do corporate uh mostly and um the comedy clubs i had a few videos go viral in the last year. Uh, we're we're up over a hundred million views on it on the videos. So um I'm I'm going in the clubs and people are finding me on the internet and coming out. And um at sixty three years old, uh I've experienced a part of my career that I've never experienced. And that's, that's crazy, your, Jeff. I mean you know, like that's... absolutely and, and again I I you know the internet you know, I believe, me, I don't understand it. I hired a 28 year old kid out of uh, Dallas, Texas to run my social media. And um, it's it's been an amazing journey for the last six months. I don't know how long I can keep up the travel like this. You know, my, and my wife and I have had many conversations about it, but I, I work out a lot. I've lost 30 pounds. Um, you know, again, you're, you're an alcoholic and you find something that, that makes you feel better. You do it till you kill you, so I'll probably die in a weight room. You know? Yeah, but uh, I, I I enjoy working out and I enjoy uh, meeting people and I, I'm enjoying the clubs again because the audience that's coming out are paying. You know, they they know what I do and they're there to see me and it's it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting ride.
0: Is it? Awesome. Um, do you think that you know, like, if that success had happened before? you 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 would have been or not equipped I'd to handle that. it?
1: No, I couldn't have. I couldn't have. I, I, you know, you know, my dream was to win the lottery in my twenties and buy a silo full of cocaine. I mean, that's where my head was at. If I win the lottery, I'm buying a silo full of cocaine. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. So, those- so I you know, <laughs> pretty much I, answers um, the question. <laughs> I'd work
1: my way down to the bottom. I mean that again, that's, you know, you know, it's funny you hear these kids today talking about adulting in their thirties. That's kind of when I started, you know, it was funny when I went to therapy, um, the standard, the, the, the understanding is that an alcoholic when he starts drinking is that's the age he remains emotionally until he, he dry he quits. So I looked at it, I started at 13 or 14 and I quit at 30, 31. So I was on a personal cryogenic program for 15 years, you know, I froze myself emotionally and it made sense to me because all of a sudden I, I was, I was like a 15 year old. I, you know, I, I, I've always said that the problem with a lot of men today are their boys, they're they're boys who shave. That's what they are. They're, they have never moved into manhood. And, um, I, I moved into manhood with two kids and a wife and, uh, it was not pleasant. Those seven or eight years was, for sure. Was, were just growing. I mean, it was maturing. It was understanding. I had responded, You know, you talk about your financial, we were on the verge of bankruptcy and I, we are, we had a car that was a piece of crap. And, and, and I, I said, Tammy, we're going to go buy a new car. She goes, we're going to get a new car. I said, we're getting a new car. And I, and, and I realized, you know, halfway to the car dealer, no one's going to sell me a car. I'm on the verge of bankruptcy. Well, you know, it's America. Yeah. So, I walked off with yeah. a $20,000 automobile. And, and, and of course they it. eight months later, they, they hauled it out of the driveway, you know, and, uh, cause I couldn't pay for it, but, uh, that was to salve another wound. You know, I, I couldn't salve it with booze or drugs. So I'll, I'll salve it with a shiny new object. Um, Barkite or kite exactly exactly i mean again you don't sit there logically you know and you look back and you think oh my god no wonder i have i I have people running my life i really do
0: not only that uh, i mean like i think it's part of you know like i think it's part of the of the growth you know it is part of the growth of having um like having like a loving af telling you sometimes that you're You're just blinded, right? You know, like by, by call it addiction, call it passion. I will tell you
1: this, man, I have the utmost deepest respect for my wife's opinion of me, her ability to see me headed towards a cliff long before I get to the cliff is, is uncanny. And uh, she speaks openly and honestly, and, and I got to tell you, it almost split us up. Um, her um, directness, but um, it's something that I'm grateful for today. Because I, you know, again, I, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a 63 year old man, probably emotionally 30 now, maybe.
0: Yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and, and add to I that, mean, Jeff, you know, like all the time that you know, like you know, like they, they tell us. And in your mind, you're like, ah, oh, she doesn't, right. she has no idea what she's talking about. Right. And, you know, and, and you're just running full blast into that cliff. And, right. you know, like, and then once in a while, you're know, like, did you just pose their end of your shoulders? Like, hey, Jeff, I think you're running in the direction of a hill. Ah. Right. <laughs> what is she Well, I told
1: her when, when, we, when we booked our calendar, our calendars slammed. I mean, uh, the, the phone hasn't stopped ringing. And, uh, I, I sat my wife down and I said, you're going to have to tell me to stay home. Understand that I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to do what's in front of me. I got a manager that wants to eat. I got an agent that wants to eat. I got a social media guy that wants to eat. I got a team of people who rely on me and they don't care if our marriage splits up or not right now. They, you know, so you tell me when it's enough is enough. Cause I'll, I'll pull back in a heartbeat. You don't have to convince me to stay home, you know. And um she said no, we're fine. I said great. That's all I wanted to know, you know. And um I got I, um I, I was home 7 days since September. It's 8 days since, since September.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, like it you 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 talk about this, I um I saw my stepdad girlfriend die uh, of a of a lung cancer because of smoking. And I was a huge smoker at the time and I was like I'm six feet and, you know, like I was probably over 240 pounds and, you know, like really not taking yeah. my life serious, uh, in, in terms of, you know, like just like healthy habits. Yeah. And, um, I see her 50 something getting a few months shy of her, of her pension, uh, of a big corporation and, uh, gets diagnosed with cancer, super aggressive oh. cancer. And, you know, like we're all about, you know, like the, not that I knew her, I wasn't close to her at all, you know, but, but I was witness of that, you know, like, like the last wishes, you know, like she wants to travel, we go in Jamaica, you know, because it was a destination that she had in mind before, you know, like and and getting married with the bandana because she had, she had no hair left, you know, like, it was just like fucking, you know, like, it was just tragic and, um, and then decided to, you know, take care of my life. So I stopped smoking. Um. I I start training and then it became overtraining and right. then it became I, you know like I I get I get hooked on obstacle race training you know obstacle race yeah. courses so Spartan and all and then I remember one summer my wife you know like talking about scheduling my yeah. wife says uh, because you know like pre-registering gives you better value for you know like your your registration you know like it's lower right. costs and you know so I pre registrate you know like a few and then and then some more and then my wife's was like okay so what does the summer looks like because she was actually just either there as a spectator or home yeah. alone you know like that was before we got our kid and and she's like so what does the summer looks like and then i would count and was like ugh it was something like 12 14 which means that right for here it means that i would be gone all summer weekends right and you're gone all week working so, exactly and so she's yeah. like are you kidding me you know like 14 races this year you know like i, I was like well, well you know like they're, yeah. they're, they're short runs <laughs> yeah i did that with golf i
1: got obsessed with golf i said uh i traded cocaine for golf that's just as expensive and just as annoying and you know but it's legal <laughs> and um she got to where she just hated golf i'd pick up a club and she would just just go off
0: and we so, become expert at it right you know, like I could you could probably could talk about golf better than some of the experts you know so <laughs> it's just crazy
1: well it's it's just yeah it's uh, it's that part of us that um you know the beast that needs to get fed that's yeah. all so I've, I've learned to slow down a little bit but it's still I hang around a lot of 25 year old 30 year old kids that play golf and um I come home limping in and she go looks at me she goes you think you're one of them you know she goes, you need to get, you need to rest. You need yeah. to rest.
0: But. Jeff, I have to thank you for your time. Thank you for sure. how open you were to tell your story. Um, yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm humbled by the, you know, like the, the, how people accepts to sit with me and, and discuss and and talk and, you know, just exchange their story. It's just, yeah. it's, it's just a blessing for me in, first and, and then for the people that listens, um, where can people find you, Jeff?
1: JeffAllenComedy.com. Okay. And, uh, and then, uh, all the, uh, at um, Jeff Allen Comedy on the, on the Twitter machine and the, uh, the J Allen Comedy, I believe on Instagram and then, uh, Facebook, they can just go to the fan page, uh, Jeff Allen uh, Comedian. Awesome. I, I think we're blue checked on Facebook. So uh, if you just put in Jeff Allen, I should be first one to come up.
0: And uh, I'll be putting all of these links on the description of the podcast. So right. if you, people will find them. Uh, again, thank you for your time. It was, uh, it was a, you, really great to sit and talk with you. Um, yeah, I enjoyed every minute of I it. I did too, man. I had a blast. All right. Thanks. Bless you. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.